The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello everybody and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. I'm Dylan. And we're here to talk about video games, theater, storytelling. Uh, this week we've got kind of a fun one that, honestly, Dylan, when you messaged me with this topic idea, I was like, in my head I was like, we must have talked about that already. Like, right, there's no right. way we haven't talked about this, but I don't think we have. No. I re- at uh, least, I really hope we haven't. <laughs> I, we, we've talked about this game series before, and I feel like we might have uh, talked about, uh, or the game series that started this topic. But I don't know if we ever actually. God, I hope not. Yeah. Uh, people if... listening, uh, if we have, call Yell us out us. on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we are going to be talking about nonviolence in games, specifically games that are violent. Uh, nonviolent solutions to violent encounters. Yeah, and we're. I know we're kind of rambly at the the beginning of this episode, but I just wanted to throw out Chris that like I was thinking about a potential title for this episode, okay, and I, I had one that was so bad, I cringed and wanted to vomit. Tell um, me now. What if Gandhi were a gamer? Oh my god, that will not be the title, but god, this I will be in the Fuck. episode. Yeah, I was afraid of that. <laughs> Um, well, if Gandhi was a gamer, then there would be an error in the source code a la the Civilization games, and he would nuke everyone. It's um, true. Anyway, hi. <laughs> uh, so games frequently, like, the, the primary way that games have of you interacting with your problems is violence, because it's easy to write, and it is fun in game, and, like, yes. But sometimes... Games will introduce interesting curveballs where they set up what should be a violent encounter, what should be, you know, all right, time to have the big slugfest kind of story beat, and then very pointedly do not do that. And Dylan brought up a game from the Prince of Persia series as one that did that very interestingly, and I'm going to let you, Dylan, take that away because you know the latter Prince of Persia games much better than I do. So in the original Prince of Persia, you play as someone thrown into the dungeons. I thought you were talking about the Dark Prince from Warrior Within, or from uh, from from Two Thrones. Two Thrones. I'm talking about both of them, but I'm starting with the original. Uh, So in the original Prince of Persia, you're playing Prince of Persia. uh, You're going through the the dungeons and the hallways of this uh, vaguely. We'll we'll call it Persian because that's what Jordan Mechner Persian inspired. Was that was the that was the 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 parlance of our college dining hall, right? They would have meat-inspired yeah. pizza, and yes. and Prince of Persia was a Persian-inspired game. Yes, and eventually you uh you you're trying to go back the way you came because you you unlocked you found a switch that unlocks the door you need to go to. So you have to backtrack to an earlier point in the level, and as you are about to go to the door, there is a mirror blocking your way, and 
you know, you, you can try anything you you want, but you know, you have an hour time limit to beat the entire game. So, and one of your uh, only that's... mechanisms of interacting with the world in Prince of Persia is to jump. Yes. So <laughs> you jump. So you jump through the mirror, and you leave behind like a mirrored dark prince. And so then, like, th- through the rest of the game, you will see the Dark Prince, and he will mess with you in some ways. My, my uh, favorite think... example of this is there's a mm-hmm. point a level or two after the Dark Prince appears. Because now that I know that that's the Dark Prince we're talking about, I can <laughs> contribute to this story. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. There's a point a level or two after you first release the Dark Prince where the final, like, you can see the last door to the level. And you have to kind of loop around to get there, and there's this big, like, you know, leap of faith jump that you have to make. And if you get the running start and you jump at the last moment, you make it, and you you land with your fingers there on the ledge, and you're like, haha, now all I have to do is uh, pull myself up, and I'm there. And then the hallway above you that you can see because of the way the screen is laid out, the Dark Prince runs in, stops... And then just steps on a switch, and the door right in front of where you need to pull yourself up slides closed, and you fall into the next level. <laughs> it is such a good moment, and it's that was so exactly good. the moment I was thinking <laughs> I'm of, I'm glad too. that that was what was on your mind, too. It's, it is iconic. <laughs> it's um, incredible. But yeah, so that happens, and eventually you, you get near the final level, and you see the Dark Prince. He's there. He's standing across the way from you, and you both draw your swords, um, and... You know, you, you engage in Prince of Persia combat. However, I believe attacking the Dark Prince hurts you. Am I correct in that, I, Chris? Or... I think so. To be honest, I never played that far. I, like, the the version of this game that I had growing up was, like, the OG version. So there was yeah. no, like, you had the hour time the limit. Steam remake. It was not the Steam remake. Yeah. And I never got past, like, I want to say level, like, 8 out of 10. Mm. Like, I just, I... I never got past it back when we had a computer that could support an MS-DOS game like (laughs) Prince of Persia and then didn't have access to it anymore. Um, But from my memory, it's either hitting him hurts you or he mirrors your actions so exactly that you cannot hit him. It's one of the two, and I don't remember which one it is. But um, the, the solution to this encounter is to sheath your sword... And to simply walk into the Dark Prince, thus accepting him, thus you are whole again, and you are allowed to progress. Yeah, it's um, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, for anyone who has played the... Final Fantasy IV. Final <laughs> Fantasy IV, and this is not an uncommon trope, but uh, recently, I recently beat the uh, indie platformer game Celeste. And Celeste features a very similar moment where early on you see a magic mirror and it sets free like a dark version of yourself that then spends the rest of the game fucking with you. Uh, and it's doing more nuanced things with it than Prince of Persia was doing, but it's got a well, similar sort of... because it has the added the ability benefit to, of writing. Yeah. yeah. You know, there is text and dialogue and, you know, 20 extra years of game design knowledge to be... Oh, 30. Prince of Persia was 19. Yeah, Prince of Persia is like 89. Yeah, I want to say 88 or 89, so it's got... I'm, like, I'm looking it up now. All right. But yeah, it's got like, you know, close to 30 extra years of game design and game storytelling to be building on. But anyway, same kind of thing. Uh, October 3rd, 1989. Okay. Yes. So Final Fantasy IV ripped off Prince of Persia. Just going <laughs> to say that right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
This is a call-out podcast. This is a call-out podcast to my one of my favorite Final Fan, one of my favorite games. Never mind, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's that's the kind of thing that we're going to be talking about is how games and because Prince of Persia is built up. The challenges that you face are hard jumps or platforming challenges, traps that you have to circumnavigate, and guards that you have to fight. And so you have been trained throughout this entire game that if you come across another person, you better get your sword out and you better get ready for some swashbuckling. Yeah. And so not only is that moment of nonviolence a very, like, you know, it's it's got some metaphorical weight to it. You are having to accept this darker part of yourself in order to become, you know, in terms of, like, sort of, I almost said Jordan Mechner, but that's the maker of the game. I'm thinking of the guy who wrote the myth with a thousand faces, or the hero with a thousand faces, uh, Joseph Campbell. Thank you. In sort of, like, Joseph Campbellian storytelling theory, you're like, you know, you have your moment in the cave where you come face-to-face with your darker self and you emerge a changed person because of the story. But it's also, like, a fun little, like, you have to unlearn what the game has taught you in order to come to that conclusion. And it's a very, it's a really well-done little moment in a, in a game that had to be pretty damn simplistic with its storytelling. Yeah. Okay, so Chris, I don't mean to linger on Prince of Persia too long. Yes, we will talk about Two Thrones, but there were two things I wanted to okay, point out do. real quick. Uh, I forgot that because of the Prince of Persia film, we actually got Prince of Persia Lego sets. Holy shit. <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, Second thing, (laughs) and this is perhaps more surprising, it turns out Ubisoft did give us a Prince of Persia game recently. In... Uh, on September 27th, 2018... What the fuck? Uh, Ubisoft released Prince of Persia Escape, a mobile game for iOS and Android. It is an endless runner game made up of different levels, and the player can customize the protagonist with outfits from past games. Uh, reviewer of Pocket Gamer, Cameron Bald, calls Prince of Persia Escape a, quote, mundane game crushed under the weight of excessive greed. Ubisoft, you're fucking dead to me. Ah, uh, wow. Could you imagine having an actual honest-to-God Prince of Persia game and not that in the year of our Lord 2019? I can imagine it, and it hurts <laughs> me to do so because I know it will not be. Ubisoft, please re-release the first two games on Switch or something. Please, I don't care. I would take it. Give us an HD remaster of uh, Prince of Persia 2007? Uh, 2008. 2008. That game was fucking rad and would oh, look they're, beautiful. They're never going to revisit that game. <laughs> I know they're not, but I love it, and it would look so good. Hell, you know what? I don't care. Re-release Prince of Persia Sands of Time trilogy, but like cheap out on it and like title it assassin's creed prince of persia <laughs> like oh, the, that the, hurt the, me the, art, the artifacts are now uh pieces of eden or whatever i don't it, care maybe maybe people will buy these games this time it around. does not do to dwell on dreams i long ago <laughs> gave up hope of half-life 3 and prince of persia ever coming back is going that way as well anyway anyway <laughs> two thrones <laughs> While we're dwelling on this dream. A quick uh, recap of the first two games, as Two Thrones is the third in a trilogy. So, 
in Pr- Prince of Persia 1 game. is a goddamn gold-plated classic, and if you have any means of playing it, go do that. Yes. Or rather, Prince exactly. of Persia Sands of Time. Prince of Persia Warrior Within happens, and it was the company trying to take the, the game into a darker and edgier direction, because that's where gaming was going. Um, stand alone. Oh, God, yeah, it featured an insert song from Godsmack uh, that I am not proud to admit is on my iPod Nano somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> You're a beautiful man, and I love you. I <laughs> uh, love you, too. Anyway, um, so Prince of Persia Two Thrones uh, kind of takes that edginess and, like, condenses it into its version of the Dark Prince. Who looks like something on a Godsmack cover album. Album cover. Okay, not cover the Dark album. Prince is fucking awesome. You shut up. He looks like someone who would headline a Godsmack uh, cover band. Yeah, but he looks cool. Shut up. I like him. I no, think I it's like a cool him too. Design. He's a very particular era of cool, but he's still du- like I. I still dig it. <laughs> nah, shut up. I play as the Dark Prince today. Dark Prince for Smash. Sakurai make it so. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Yo, I would lose my shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no lie. I would. But you know all the tweets that have been going around of different like YouTubers' reactions to Sans, where they just like scream and the video cuts yeah. off. That Sa- would be me. <laughs> that would be me if. <laughs> Even now it's the fucking Dark Prince. <laughs> Basically, in Prince of Persia, the Two Thrones, the prince gets corrupted and he forms not a split personality, but he kind of has this inner voice that represents like all of his his id, basically, all of his base impulses, his desire for revenge, you know, his his self-serving or selfishness, I guess. His desire uh, to use a kick-ass whip sword. I mean, yeah, the whip sword's so cool. It's so rad. <laughs> and also the prince turns into the dark prince as a transformation, but he's still in control, so it's it's not clearly defined, but don't worry about that. Near the end of the game, the the prince is kind of moved on and he he's trying to rekindle things with his old flame Pharah, who doesn't remember him due to time traveling shenanigans. And so because of that, he's basically he's put away the dark prince. He's trying to put him away for good and move on from him. So, you beat the final boss, you think the day is saved. Uh-oh, Prince gets sucked into his mindscape. <laughs> uh, and so the Prince is basically wandering this platforming area as the Dark Prince taunts him and is trying to assume control of their body. And near the end of this platforming segment, you see the Dark Prince, and you have the option of sword fighting him. But, you know, like in Prince of Persia... Instead of accepting him, the prince has to move on and ignore him, which I, I like because the, the, there's this idea where like the prince, the dark prince is trying to convince the prince. And I realize this is like, yeah. I'm saying prince a lot. The dark prince is trying to convince the prince is that he cannot improve, that he is, you know, he needs these baser impulses. He, he is not able to function without them. And so he hears Farah's voice, who tells him that he can move on and that, like, he doesn't need the Dark Prince. And so, rather than trying to defeat it or conquer it or accept it, the solution in this game is to simply ignore it. Which I think is a slightly weaker, like... I do too, ...thematic but like, moment, but it's still, it's still like, it's still I, cool. I think, I think there is something to be said about the idea that, like, this is something that will not necessarily go away... And you might always be at odds with it, but the fact that you are able to continue and press on despite knowing that this negative force exists in your life, I don't know. I think yeah, it's There's cool. still something to that. 
Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's kind of... That's, that's Prince of Persia. Persia that's and that's kind of what we're talking about, is like, how do games engage with pointed examples of nonviolence as mm-hmm. solutions to problems? Dylan, I'm actually very curious about your thoughts on Undertale. Yeah, well... Because... Um, this might get my gamer card taken away. I might have to turn in the keys to my I, sick I gamer pad. So. But I have I, not yet played Undertale. It's uh, it's on sale on. I mean, Switch I own. Oh, no, here's it's the thing. I own it. To- oh, you fuck you. <laughs> no, here's the thing. I bought it a while ago. I started playing it. I was like, this is interesting. And then, I, like, life got busy, and I had to put no, it down. I, and it. I understand. I'm, yeah. I'm just giving you shit. Uh, <laughs> no, Undertale's not like that. You haven't played Undertale. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of that, but like. Honestly, it's it's you're fine. You're valid. Yeah. Um, all I'm gonna say is like it's a six hour game. You can yeah. Clear I will definitely play it at end. some point soon. It's been on my list for a long time, and I just need to knock it out. Yeah. But anyway, that's what I had to do, honestly. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, so Undertale is interesting because it takes you know it takes like the the quirky uh, flavor text and humor of Earthbound, and it takes the demon negotiation from Shin Megami Tensei. And it makes the entire point uh, that over the level grinding aspect or the, you know, the repetition of killing these monsters to get stronger. And if you do uh, level grind in Undertale, uh, there is actually a finite amount of experience points you can get. Because if you clear out, like, if you level grind in an area long enough, you have killed everything in that area. They are not coming back. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. So, you know, that that's like the you're a monster route that you can take. If you're playing the game as intended and sparing everything. Also, spoilers for Undertale, I guess you can spare things because that's a spoiler, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, hell, if saying that characters die in a Fire Emblem game is a spoiler, I guess this is too. <laughs> <laughs> so Undertale, the, the main bulk of the gameplay is it takes the demon negotiation mechanic from Persona. Not Persona, I'm sorry, from Shin, Shin Megami, Megami Tensei. Tensei. Uh, and it makes, that is like the, the meat of the gameplay. You, you meet a monster, you, you get to learn their uh, personality types, you are given a list of options on how to deal with this monster, and you basically, for every encounter, you need to identify, I know what this monster likes, I know the uh, puzzle to social interaction that will get them to let me go. And that is that is the gameplay loop of Undertale. And so, you know, they, they mix it up. There's uh, bosses that will have very specific strategies. Not strategies, but uh, specific uh, solutions. I don't know. It's cool. It, it, it's a cool, like... It feels more like a puzzle game in that regard than an RPG. Cause it's, like, it's like a deconstruction of the RPG. Yeah, definitely. I don't know how much of this I'm going to leave in the episode. Okay. But I'm curious to talk to you about this because you just used some language that I'm, I've am i seen used by people who have played Undertale and who are large Undertale fans mm-hmm. before. You referred to the pacifist route. You referred to that route you were just discussing or describing where you go out of your way not to kill anything in an area mm-hmm. as playing the game as intended. Yeah. So, I mean, like... You know, if you want to do a standard route, that's how I played my first playthrough. I accidentally killed the first boss, felt terrible about it, but thought, like, no, this is my story. I'm going to play through the game. Uh, making If I make mistakes, so be it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I didn't kill anyone else after that. But 
I I thought it would be interesting to like you know let it lie. Yeah. I I guess I would say the pacifist route is the intended route because that's the only way to get you know you beat the game and then you you can load up your uh completed save file and then you unlock a new dungeon, uh where if you if you went through the whole game without killing anybody except maybe the final boss if I'm remembering correctly, uh you can go back and. Might want to put a spoiler warning for Undertale now. I I just realized that at the beginning uh, of this episode, maybe we should put a spoiler warning for Undertale, because uh, that's fresh enough that like, I don't know who hasn't played it yet, but better safe than sorry. Everyone's gonna be running for it now that Sans is in Smash. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I mean, you haven't played it. It's true. I'm fine with it because I am not generally averse to spoilers. So. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with this conversation happening, but we will stick a, a warning up there for listeners. So yeah, you unlock a new dungeon after you beat the final boss and see the ending, so then you can load that up and you do this new dungeon, and then you fight the final boss again, but I think you have the option of sparing him this time, and then you fight the real final boss. And so like that just kind of adds a layer of like completeness to the game's story, that if you did a genocide route, you know, it's complete in that you've killed everything. <laughs> but I, and I guess here's my my question: mm-hmm. the term genocide route. Yes, is there a different ending for killing everything versus yes. playing the game naturally? And oh yes, okay, yes, like very much so. Okay, uh, there is a. Fu- I don't know if it's the final boss, like because I've never done the genocide route. There is either a new final boss that I won't spoil. Or it is the penultimate boss that you have to fight to fight the game's regular final boss. That is much harder. Okay. There, there's that. You won't, you won't be able to talk to any of the characters in the ending because they're all dead. <laughs> uh, and then, I, I don't want to spoil it. Uh, you, like you, for you, I don't want to spoil it for you. I, I understand that. Because if you do that. eventually play the genocide route, it, it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> I understand that, but I'm also like. I very much, like, this is something that has been bugging me about the discourse around this game for a very long time, and I want to know, and spoilers honestly do not bother me, because I can, I very, I'm very much the kind of person who gets as much, if not more, joy from watching something when I know what's gonna happen, because I can see how they lead up to it. Okay, so I, I guess when I say, like, the pacifist route is playing the game as intended, that is also with a, a level of, like, I'm trying to find the right words, you know? Yeah. Because, like, there, there is no right way to play Undertale. Like, whatever you do in the game, like, that's your business. That's sure. your story, the narrative that you are carving out for yourself. But I feel like when you do the genocide route, even though you can start a new game, there's a feeling of there's no coming back from this. Because the characters will remember the stuff you do, even when you start a new game. That's Or some cool. of the characters do. Yeah, some of the characters do. Then I guess my follow-up question... That is also intentional. Yes. Like, that occurrence is also the intent of the game designer. Yeah, but it's not a happy ending for us. <laughs> I understand that. I'm no, not I know, like, I know, I know. Like, I guess that is one of the things that has honestly kept me from feeling as much a need to play this game, is mm-hmm. seeing the discourse around it online and seeing how... Mm. There's only one right like, way to play it. vehemently people, like, bash people who don't play the game with the pacifist route well chris i also want to throw out that like this game is a hit with people who were who probably played it 
in middle school as opposed to myself who played it as a junior in college. Okay. So like there is definitely like, you know, a sense of attachment and belonging to these characters. And I'm not saying like, if you do feel this way that you are a child, no, that's no, not, not what I'm all. getting at. I, I understand uh, completely. Like th- there is a sense of like, I don't want to see these characters suffer because they are near and dear to me. And you know, that's, that's respectable. And I, I feel like, you know, as you grow older, you can kind of distinguish, like, all right, this person is doing a genocide route that is their prerogative. It feels cruel, and, you know, the way that this game sells itself as a living, breathing world, even when you turn the game off, kind of adds to that, like, feeling of anxiety, I guess. And yeah. so, like, I guess, like, they don't want people who are playing the game the way they want to play it to go through that same anxiety, even though that's not necessarily what is happening i guess that's fair it's 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 like hard to explain because i am explaining uh the thoughts and feelings of a fan base that i frankly don't belong to i yeah, and really that's total, enjoy and... i really enjoy undertale i enjoy some of the fan art and stuff like that um i would not consider myself part of the fandom and i only played it once yeah and i i was looking to you solely as someone who has played the game mm-hmm. and can speak a little bit more to the experience of playing the game mm-hmm. and that's interesting because like i I think the fact that they create a world that can be played, a, a, a world that is hostile, that you can get through entirely nonviolently, is incredible and very compelling and something that, honestly, very few games actually pull off. Yeah. And I appreciate that that impulse and the emotional connection that people have with that. It's just, it's always been kind of baffling to me the degree of, like, anger <laughs> I have seen devoted towards people who choose not to play the game in that way because and again part a lot of it was kind of confusion over that use because i'd seen a lot of people use that term of like that's not how the game was intended to be played or that's not how the game was supposed to be played when it's like well maybe it's not quote unquote the good or right way to play it but it is a way to play that is supported by the systems and that the designer crafted yeah, it's definitely so to, intended yeah. to be played if you desire to. Yeah, and um, so, like, that breakdown kind of helped me, because I just, like, that language always confused me. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I definitely get it, and I, I feel like you shouldn't let that stop you. Like, yeah, no, I'm... It is... That, you'll I'm you'll get still, to it when you get to it, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going to play the game. I was just... I'm, and, like, I'm not proud of this, but seeing that variety of discourse online was definitely, like, off-putting to me. No, I, I definitely get it. Um, I feel like any fandom is like that yeah (laughs) again we we were kind of dylan and i were kind of talking about this just like over facebook a couple days ago re the sans costume in the the megalovania track coming to smash bros and he was like come on chris you don't get to claim the moral high ground you're a star wars fan to which my response was (laughs) don't you pin that label on me (laughs) (laughs) so like i definitely get it and like every fan base has people in it that are not so good and again not to say like gonna immediately backtrack off of that if you have strong emotional connections to this game or to anything, that does not that is not a bad thing. That is a beautiful thing. There I am also a fan of things to a degree that makes me like sometimes Paper Mario the thousand year dollar is classic and the best game ever made and I will fight you. See? <laughs> <laughs> I do it too. Anyway, that's that's enough on Undertale. Mm-hmm. Honestly, let's move into the I, I will be I will be interested to see how much of that you edit. <laughs> I'll probably edit a fair amount. I think I'll leave a lot of it because it's an interesting discussion. It's yeah, not entirely yeah. on topic, but it is, in a way, it is because that 
emotional response is only there because of this game's of unique approach that's... to nonviolence. But anyway, let's hop into the playbill because when we come back, Dylan has a couple other games he wants to talk about, and I want to talk about a game that I genuinely enjoy that really fucking dropped the ball when it came to nonviolence. I am really curious what game this is. Okay. But before we get to that, we need to uh, do a little bit of housekeeping. So now that we're here in the playbill, let's get comfortable. Ooh. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting up on the mic and I'm letting that proximity effect do what it does. And All we're right. going to talk about some other things that we have going on. Uh, first off, the big exciting news, and I tweeted about this the other day, but we are now part of a podcast network. Uh, Woo! Yeah, it's really exciting. We... If you're listening to this, you've probably started hearing pre-roll ads, which is kind of weird. Currently, they're all ads for other shows on the network. It's a network called the HP Video Game Podcast Network, and it is a network of podcasts all looking at video games from different angles. Just off the top of my head, Pretty OK Gamers, which is just sort of a weekly talk show about people uh, people talking about the games they like. There's a show called The Game Dev Loadout, which is a show looking at actual game development and interviews with people who work in the video game industry, which is something I would love to have. Similarly, a show called The Life and Times of Video Games, which is sort of a documentary-style podcast looking at individual games and how they were made and the, the impact they had on the medium. So there's a lot of different shows there's not a web network website yet, as I am aware of, but as soon as we get more information, we have things like that that we can share with you, we absolutely will. I'll be retweeting announcements for those shows' episodes as they're put out. We're going to try and just sort of build a little family of podcasts talking about video games and looking at uh, the medium and how they do things. So get excited for that. Definitely, if any of those shows sound interesting, go give them a listen, uh, hype them up, leave some reviews for them. It's all really cool. Uh, but we also have our own things that we're doing, such as, Dylan, you'd like giant robots, and you talk about that. It's true, I do. On Dude, You Remember Macross, that's dude as in dude, where's my car? I talk with your friend and mine. No title coop. That's what we call him. He's <laughs> <laughs> never had a title before in his life. I, never I, once Twitter I, lies. I, I keep defaulting to the one we can't say anymore. Yeah, the, 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 the deep and bad curse. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, we, we've been watching old 80s mech animes, starting with uh, Super Dimensional Fortress Macross. Uh, right now we're watching Gunbuster with Chris on the show. It's a lot of fun. We, we, I like to talk about the possible, because I am an American living in the 2010s, uh, but maybe <laughs> the possible cultural influences of these shows and like what kind of where the creators were coming from, what they were might have been aiming at. And, you know, we also just like to talk and yuck it up about the shows. So it's pretty fun. If you want to check that out, you can find us on anchor.fm slash dude. Once again, D-U-D-E. You remember. Uh, we are also on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. Oh, uh, yeah. You should also go show some love to our friends over at the Unexplored Places. It's an actual play podcast. We are getting close to the launch of season two. <gasps> I know, I'm so fucking excited. So it's season one of the Unexplored Podcast is an actual play podcast using the Monster of the Week engine. It was set in rural Ohio, and it was about a group of friends overcoming ooky spooky mysteries. This new season is a sci-fi season. It's going to be subtitled 
Tango Sector. Dylan and I are both going to be members of the main cast. I'm going to be on every week. Dylan will be a recurring character as the schedule allows because he's got other stuff going on. And it's going to be a really good time. You can also hear us both in some of their Patreon-exclusive content, like uh, the medieval, or medieval, wow, the Victorian mystery show Florence DeWitt's Paranormal Detective Agency. There's some interstitial episodes that I'm in. Recently, we released two that were titled uh, Bigfoot Stole My Car with My Best Friend's Birthday Present Inside, which are incredible and so much fun. But they're great, and you can find them by going to twitter.com and looking for at unexploredcast, or by going to unexploredcast.libsyn.com. Other than that, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at CJ Wilson VA, if you want to keep up with other shows that I'm in, other things that I'm working on. Uh, there's several different audio drama projects that I've got, uh, that I've been cast in that are spinning. I'm going to spend a lot of time, when you hear this, last weekend, screaming into my microphone as if I'm being done bad things to. So look forward to that. Uh, and Dylan, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Dilla. That is T-H-A underscore D-I-L-A. Oh uh, yes, Dylan posts a lot of dumb memes but i love them (laughs) it's true like this this is not my like i do not have a professional account so don't expect it (laughs) yeah meanwhile i'm a madman who uses his professional account to post dumb memes too so you know (laughs) it's all good here one more thing before we get back into the episode we also have a patreon it is uh patreon.com slash bsg pod and that is how we are supporting the show, supporting the overhead costs that are involved, such as our website, uh, hosting fees, things like that. We are incredibly appreciative of everyone who has donated, everyone who is a patron, because it means the world to us that we have the support like that that is keeping us in the black as we produce this show. Uh, moving forward, especially now that we're on the network, eventually the network will start introducing some like actual advertisements into the show we're gonna have uh, some amount of creative control over that so we'll try to keep it like you know ads that are for things that relevant we don't hate and are relevant to our brand um but moving forward once i have the time to devote to making this sort of changeover i'm probably going to start making uh ad free versions of our episodes available to our patrons just as sort of a thank you you're already fungibly supporting us we don't need to you know if you want to listen to the episodes without ads. I'm not going to begrudge you the like thousandth of a cent that your download is worth. So look forward to things, some things like that. We've also got other rewards. We've got a Discord server for our patrons where we hang out sometimes. It's fairly quiet right now, and I'd love to make more friends in that venue. So, But yeah, huge thank you to all of our patrons. And if any of what I've said sound interesting and you like what we're doing enough to want to support us and help us with, you know expanding our production value and maybe making more shows in the future that's a great way to do it once again that's patreon.com slash bsg pod all right now that we're done with all of that housekeeping i'm kind of i'm tempted to hang on to my like god they almost did it so cool uh until the end yeah go ahead so dylan i want to know what were some other things that you thought about as you were coming up with this well, the one game I was thinking of was okay. Metal Gear Solid 3. I specifically honestly, I kind Solid of anticipated 3. that that would be the case. It's it's kind of the obvious one. <laughs> yeah. This game is so cool and so like weirdly ahead of its time, and I don't know enough about it to convey exactly why that is. Metal Gear Solid is a series of stealth games where you are playing a spy and the whole point is to not get caught. Yes. In previous Metal Gear Solid games, you had your basic options, but, like, the game basically boiled down to stay out of the enemy's cone of vision, and you should be fine. <laughs> Metal Gear Solid 3 
has like kind of adds on to that where now in addition to your kind of vision you you basically have a lot more tools uh metal gear solids uh or rather metal gear metal gear 2 solid snake metal gear solid and metal gear solid 2 all had uh wide arsenals but they were all very situational and then like you would have a variety of guns because guns um <laughs> guns because guns metal gear solid 3 is a lot more freeform in comparison and uh because of that, it, it really kind of pushes the agency to go for a pacifist run more than previous games do. So this one's a little different because it's stealth and thus not a non-violent solution to a violent encounter. But I, I think one thing that Metal Gear Solid 3 th does that is interesting, replaying Metal Gear Solid 2, there are moments of forced combat. Uh, there are moments of forced combat in all of the previous Metal Gear Solid games where... There's a, a cutscene happens, and the character you are controlling is dropped into a combat scenario that you have to fight your way out of. Now, while it is possible to do that without killing any of them, in Metal Gear Solid 2 at least, it is pretty difficult, and the controls were not made to accommodate these more overwhelming odds. Right. Like, usually when you are in a violent encounter, you are trying to run away and hide, and you know, return to the status quo of their patrolling, I am sneaking. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it just, it doesn't feel super great. Um, in Metal Gear Solid 3, the equivalent to that is these moments where they, they drop you in and there are patrols that are looking for you. They know you're in the area and they are actively searching for you, but you can still run away and hide from them. Okay. So you have a bit more agency there. Um, and, you know, near the end of the game, there's this huge, like, action set piece chase sequence that happens where you're riding on, like, the sidecar of a motorcycle and it's basically a turret section where you're shooting down all these guards that are chasing you. That is the only other, like, mandatory combat encounter I can think of, but you can also, you can do that, pass like, peacefully because there are items that will prevent them from shooting at you, so you just stare at them, and they'll stare back at you, <laughs> and it's fine. You actually get that... Uh, that's an outfit that allows you to do that, and you get... Okay, so I, I, I'm kind of rambling right now, but what I'm getting at is that the game gives you a lot of options with how to deal with encounters, and in the latter encounter I was talking about with the chase sequence, um, that item you get from beating another boss... Uh, non-lethally. And so there are boss fights in Metal Gear Solid 3 that you have the option of doing non-lethally. And, you know, a way you do that is you uh, you hit them with Trank Darts, and that will deplete their stamina. And so you, you're basically... It's slower, and it's uh, it, it takes longer, but when you do it, you get rewarded with uh, new items that allow you to sneak even more efficiently. Right. Metal Gear Solid 3 had so many, like, interwoven systems built yeah. into its stealth gameplay, too. Like, different varieties of camouflage, different ways to move around, different ways to get the guards that were in your way out of your way. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting one because it's, like you said, it's a stealth game, so it's less like, we're coming to an equitable solution to this violent problem, and more, they can't shoot me if they don't see me. Yeah. But they do do some interesting things with... Oh, I'm getting there. I've, I was hoping you would. <laughs> so yeah, uh, in particular with the boss fights, there's one in particular that I'm thinking of, and it's the boss fight against the 
Fear, uh, who is this guy who is fighting you, and he, he can shoot, like, poison arrows at you, and he flips around, and he can turn invisible, and he is nightmarish on a uh, pacifist <laughs> run. Because he can also hunt, like, as you are trying to deplete his stamina, he can hunt for animals just like you can, eat them, and replenish his stamina. So one of the strategies for that is you need to actually take some food that you have let rot in real time. Because there's a real-time system in Metal Gear Solid yep, 3 where... everything is based on the game clock. If you leave the game off for a certain amount of time, the food that is in your inventory will start to rot. And so if you save the game and then turn it on like a week later, all your food will be rotten. The fear wants to eat something, throw out some rotten food, he'll go after that, and then you can finish him off. It's so cool. There, There's so much thought put into that game. You know, I, I don't want to go on for too long, but like, you can injure... Uh, enemies like if you shoot an a guard in their leg they will limp and like their their movement speed will be halved and you can shoot both legs to make them go even slower they're the radios that they used to call into headquarters are an actual tangible item on their person so you can shoot that to break it so they can't call for help that's really cool yeah yeah there are in every in a, a few areas there are food storage closets you can blow those up with remote detonators and you can leave the area and come back and they will be less attentive, they will move slower, and they will be more likely to eat food that you throw out for them because they are hungry. <laughs> and again, worth noting, none of these are really non-violent. <laughs> They're... But they you know, are not lethal. It's not, it's not, yeah, there we go. Uh, it's not violent insofar as you are not killing them. Yeah. And so, Dylan, I hear you ask, you have all these weapons, uh, you know, it's so easy to just shoot a guy when he doesn't see you. What's keeping you from killing all these people? Well, I'm glad you asked, imaginary listener. The, so, there's another boss fight, and I think this is the one that Chris really wanted me to get to. His name is The Sorrow. And he is a ghost. And his boss fight isn't a boss fight. He is at the end of a river. You are at the other end of a river. The boss fight is Reach the Sorrow. However, your progress will be impeded by the ghosts of every single enemy you've killed in the game. It's so good. <laughs> and when I say every single enemy you've killed in the game, I don't mean, oh, there is an enemy there is a model for that represents every enemy. No. The way you kill an enemy will be reflected in their ghost that approaches you. So if you slit one of their throats, they will, uh, you know, they'll be walking with, like, their neck kind of tilted to the side. If you, like, drown them, I think there is, like, a specific animation for that. I think my friend Joe told me this. I'm not sure if this is a thing, but, like, you can kill a guard and a vulture can peck at them. That vulture will be there pecking at their ghost it's so good it's so, so it's, good so it's the sorrow because you're you're supposed to feel regret for all of those enemies that you've killed thus far and to really consider what you're doing and the impact that you are having on this game world not unlike undertale i i fucking love like i haven't even played this game but watching you play it back when we lived together was fascinating mm. it's a uh, it's 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 my favorite Metal Gear game mechanically. I'll say that. Yeah, it also serves as a really nice segue into okay. the game I wanted to talk about. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Okay, yeah, I'll let you say it. So, growing up, 
I was a big fan. Like, I, I was technically born slightly too late for these to actually be, like, childhood games for me. Mm-hmm. But as I came into, like, you know, being a teenager, being getting into high school, I discovered a lot of old PC games that I really yep, loved. Yep, yep, I, uh, wow, I'm kind of mad I didn't call this game out well, earlier. I, I, but... You might still not have it right. I think I do, but let's let's so, keep going. I've talked before on this show about Thief the Dark Project and the yep. Thief series uh-huh. and how much I love them. I'm not going to be talking about Thief the Dark Project this week. I know you're not. You know, all right, you're there. <laughs> yeah, uh, Another there. game contemporary with Thief the Dark Project and that sort of era was a game called Deus Ex. And Deus Ex is a game oh. in which... Oh, you... oh, I did not know. I <laughs> thought you were going Dishonored. Oh, no, 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 no. Dishonored, Dishonored is interesting. And Dishonored, the reason Dylan thought I was talking about Dishonored is because in Dishonored, there is for every target, because the game is basically based around you enacting vengeance on the people who ruined your life and cast your country into chaos. And the every target you can either kill or you can spare, <laughs> but sparing them is not an act of mercy so much as it's a, an act of not killing. Like, it's, yeah. it's like Count of Monte Cristo, Edmond Dante shit. 100%. Like, the, the, the peak version. Like, there are others, every, char- every target has an example, but an early level has you taking out this pair of, like, evil twins who are running some real questionable business practices involving, like, slavery and extortion and shit. And you can either kill them, or you can arrange with a criminal, with a crime boss in the neighborhood to have them abducted, deformed, beyond recognition, and sold into slavery in their own minds. So, you know, pacifism. Yeah, it's... Who oh, boy? Um, but no, I want to talk about Deus Ex, because the Deus Notice Ex series... You don't actually you don't actually dissemble the uh, the slave trade. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> that's that's still there. <laughs> You're just handing the profit to someone else. Yeah, yikes. Um, <laughs> but Deus Ex was a game. It was a cyberpunk first-person adventure game uh, in which you take on the role of a cybernetically enhanced operative, and it's all about exploring the environment in different ways you can play it as a stealth game you can play it as a first person shooter you can play it as like a a hacking an assemblage of hacking mini games uh and the original deus ex were very they are very dated they are hard to go back to but they're also very interesting because they were trying to be very big sprawling interconnected systems that you could like take advantage of and build your character to excel in particular versions of And then, in the late 2000s, they came out with a remake called Deus Ex Human Revolution, and I was so excited. And Deus Ex Human Revolution is largely a very good game. Except. So, in Deus Ex Human Revolution, the big, like, selling point, one of the big selling points is you can play the game however you want to play. You do not have to kill any of the enemies in the levels that you're exploring. You can sneak past them. You can turn to hacking in order to, like, hack into systems and lock them in rooms so that they can't get out to find you. You can hack into security cameras to get a better view. You can, like, or you can, you know, treat it as a first-person shooter and run and gun and stab your way through everything if you want to. That's valid. 
And it's all very good. There's also a large amount of, like, social interactions in the world where, like, you can, you can, like, talk your way into situations and, like, you know, go through dialogue trees and puzzles involving people to get into areas that otherwise would be inaccessible to you. Or you can sneak into those areas, or you can fight your way into those areas. And they did really a very good job of setting up a world that you can engage with along any one of those, like, three or four, depending on how you view the hacking elements, because they kind of serve to supplement the other three kind of branches of engagement, whether you're fighting, sneaking, or talking. And they also build it being a cyberpunk game, you are very cybernetically enhanced, and so the, like, improvements that you get as a character are in the form of, like, upgrades to your person. And those upgrades are very geared towards combat or social interactions or stealth. And this is all great, except they have boss fights. And you have to fight the bosses. There's no talk your way through... There's no sneak your way past. There are for some of them. There's a there's an early boss fight where the guy is like has a bunch of hostages held captive, and you are able to talk him down if you do the right conversation trees. Yeah. But most of the boss fight, and there's a couple of other things like that throughout the game, but most of like the big bads, you just have like '90s shooter esque boss fights with. And That's if you really disappointing. It's really disappointing because if especially because if you like me like the stealth and the talking elements and that's where you're putting all of your upgrade points, not only is it disappointing from a like it's going against the philosophy of the game of like letting you, you know, be a stealth operative who doesn't kill if he doesn't want to, but then you end up in this arena where not only is that out the window, but also you don't have any of the combat specs that are going to make it easy or quick to get through this part of the game. <laughs> I have not played... They put out a sequel recently called Deus Ex Human... Something. I don't... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was... That sounded very... <laughs> it wasn't even defeat. It was just I realized that I just had no idea what this game is called. Right, right. Uh, Mankind Divided. Mankind Divided. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I have not played it, as should be obvious by the fact that I didn't know what it was called. Um, I don't know if they addressed that, because that was a lot of people's complaints about Deus Ex as well. Like, it... It felt very against the grain of what the game had been doing otherwise to suddenly throw in, like, nope, you gotta kill him, and you're gonna do it in this boss fight in an arena. Uh, and, boy howdy, hope you haven't put all your points into hacking and stealth like a moron, because that's useless to you now. Um, but it's like, it's one of those things where all of those things that we were, the games that we've been talking about that did this well... Undertale, even the Prince of Persia example of like it kind of subverting things, all of the ways that you can move around in Metal Gear Solid, they are there everywhere in the games. At no point in Metal Gear Solid 3 does it suddenly go, nope, you can't do that this time, yeah. I think. No, no. I was going to say, I hope you can back me up on that. <laughs> I mean, you are forced to kill the final boss because that is instrumental in Snake's character arc, but yeah. be- beyond that... <laughs> Yeah. You can even you can even stealth kill her. It's just that you have to do it after the cutscene. Yeah. But then you've got Deus Ex where like they had 90% of this system all built up and then they dropped it at the 1 yard line and were like and arena boss fights. But that's really all I have for that. I just wanted to bring it up because it's a game series that I love and in spite of that, I still really like Human Revolution. I think it's a really interesting game and if you like like, well-thought-out cyberpunk adventure games, you should definitely check it out. But be prepared to at least put a few of your upgrade points into punch. 
Man, I was so sure you were going to talk about Dishonored. <laughs> I was so certain. I'm like, oh, man, no one knows Chris better than I. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're not wrong. Like, I mean, that, that definitely not, could have been a conversation. Like, uh, it fits I'm not the topic well. You, so. <laughs> it fits the topic well, but I tricked you. Um, it's true. <laughs> but anyway, I think that'll do it for this week. Uh I think so, too. Yeah, if you have any examples of games that do interesting things with nonviolence, tell us about it on Twitter. Tell us about it on uh, the comments for this YouTube video. Mention it if you choose to leave an iTunes review, I guess, but that would be a weird thing in an iTunes review. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, thank you guys for listening. This has been Backstage Gaming. We will talk to you again next week. Until then... Please do, if you like what we're doing, leave a rating, leave a review on iTunes. That'll really help us grow. Also, tell your friends, tell your family, tell anyone you know that you think would like our very specific takes on video games. Tell them to check us out, and they can do that wherever you get your podcasts. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play Store, or by going to our website, bsgpod.com. There you can also find info about us. You can find a contact form if you want to get in touch with us. All that kind of good stuff. Please, interact with us via social media oh Uh, yeah that's a good segue chris um Mm. you can find us on facebook you can find us on twitter our handle is at bsg underscore cast um and you can also leave a youtube comment if that is your alley um also you know i've started doing this and i think you should too after you listen to an episode of ours maybe you can engage with us by using the hashtag bsg pod mm-hmm (laughs) <laughs> that was like a that was like a four kids yeah. anime like <laughs> like oh no this character's nodding how do I vocalize that approval Mister Pegasus it's time for your sponge bath Johnny mm. steps do, Johnny steps is a real gamer <laughs> I'm the three time video game champion. Oh my god, we didn't we do this like on our third episode or something like <laughs> we might have bridge. <laughs> Plug Brennan. Hey, I was about to say oh, uh, you know, uh, you know I'm going to <laughs> you know I had to do it to him. Mm. Uh <laughs> love you Brennan. <laughs> Invite me to your wedding. Huge thanks to our friend Brennan French for the key art he has provided our show. If you dig his stuff, you sh- you can look him up at brennan-french.squarespace.com. That is b-r-e-n-n-e-n-french.squarespace.com. You can also find him on instagram.com slash brennanfrencharts. You should also go and show some love to our friend BioQuery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. He's putting out a whole bunch of really cool electronica. He's also doing production for a bunch of, like, hip-hop artists around the country and in L.A. where he lives. And you can find all of his music by going to soundcloud.com slash bioquery that's b-i-o-q-u-e-r-y or by searching for bioquery on spotify i know that he he's recently been posting about some live shows i don't know if they have happened yet or not but if you live in the la area they would definitely be worth checking out he's got some really cool stuff and finally one more time we do have a patreon patreon.com slash bsg pod if you like us if you like what we're doing you should check that out see about supporting us in that way if you don't or you can't that's totally cool i get it but That's a great way to show your support and to help us make this even better and work towards making even more content like this. That's all I've got for this week. 
Thanks again to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on. Like I said, we'll share more info about that as we have more info to share. But be on the lookout for some tweets about the other shows on the network and definitely go show them some love as well. Dylan, anything else before we hop off? That's it. That's all the time I have. (laughs) I gotta get back to playing King of Fighters on my Nintendo Switch. (laughs) That was a... This week's episode sponsored by King of Fighters. (laughs) Bye-bye. (laughs) Ha ha ha!